Tonight's scripture will be taken from Acts 8, verse 26. Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel, now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Good evening and welcome again. We appreciate Dusty reading our scripture tonight, and we're grateful for the opportunity to be together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We've had a great day. We've had a very good, good day, I would say. The fellowship meal was well attended. We had a number of people that stayed. And I hope that when you were at the fellowship meal today, you got plenty to eat. I know that I did. We have a lot of great cooks here. I'm not sure what we're better, I'm not sure exactly what we do better, eating or preparing the food. But it looked like when I got to the dessert bar, it looked to me like a horde of locusts had been through. <laughs> there was not a lot to choose from. But we do appreciate all who prepared food for the luncheon today, and we're grateful for all who stayed. And uh, we appreciate so much those who brought visitors. We want to encourage all who may be visiting tonight to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We're going to be looking tonight at Acts, the 8th chapter, and we want to spend some time and talk about the theme, the power of one-on-one -on -one Bible study. You and I, we have been entrusted with the gospel of Christ. We have the responsibility of sharing Christ with a lost and dying world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature in Mark 16 at verse 15. And I know that we can do that publicly and privately. And tonight we're going to be looking at a setting where two individuals had what I call a one-on-one -on -one Bible study. And there are really two things that I believe are necessary for positive results to come forth from one-on-one -on -one Bible study. Number one, you need an open Bible. Number two, you need an open heart. And I think when you look at the eunuch, you'll find that he had both. And so we're going to look at this account that Luke records for us in Acts chapter 8, verse 20, 26, beginning. The first thing that I want to call your attention to as we look at our lesson text tonight, and we're going to look at verses 26 through 39, has to do with the conversation between Philip and the eunuch. And as we look at this conversation, we find that the eunuch had an open Bible. And that's necessary. It's important in the scheme of things. As you look at verse 26, the text tells us that the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the distance between Jerusalem and Gaza was about 60 miles. And actually Gaza was located about 60 miles southwest of the city of Jerusalem. Philip, as you well know, had been in Samaria. And it was in Samaria that Luke tells us he had preached Christ to those people. And the results were favorable. Verse 12 tells us in Acts chapter 8 that many of the Samaritans, upon hearing the things that Philip preached, were baptized, both men and women. And so I believe that he had a, a great evangelistic endeavor in Samaria. But now we find him coming in contact with a eunuch. And in verse 27, the text says, He arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia. Of course, this would be from Africa. 
a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, I believe that the eunuch that is spoken of here by Luke, the inspired historian, I think that he was a stranger in the gate. He was, no doubt, worshiping according to the law of Moses. And he had been to, he had been to the city of Jerusalem for the purpose of worshiping Almighty God in accordance with the law of Moses. Now, as we look at this man who has an open Bible, there are three things that I want to share with you that I think stand out in our lesson text, and particularly as these things relate to an open Bible. Number one, I believe that the eunuch was a man interested in the Scriptures. Now, somebody might ask the question, how do you know he was interested in the Scriptures? Well, Look at what is said in verse 28. Here's this man. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's on his way back home. He's going back to Ethiopia. And the text tells us that as he was sitting in his chariot, he was reading from Isaiah the prophet. In other words, he was reading the Bible. He was reading the Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you look at Luke's account, you'll find that the eunuch was a man of great authority. He was under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was somebody who was entrusted with her treasury. So this is a guy that has a lot of authority. He could have been doing a number of things on his way back home. He could have been thinking about business. He could have been thinking about the responsibilities that he had back home, about things he was going to do, things he needed to do. But Luke tells us when he's traveling back home, what's he doing? He's reading from Isaiah the prophet. He's reading scripture. You and I, we need to develop the same kind of, of desire to read, to study, to meditate on the truth of God. We have to have an interest in Scripture. When we sit down and talk to people about Scripture, when we talk to people about the Bible, what we want to do is cultivate an interest in Scripture among our friends and neighbors and family members. I think that the eunuch in the long ago demonstrated the mentality of the psalmist who said that the law of the Lord was more precious to him than thousands of shekels of gold and silver. On another occasion, the psalmist said, Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the night in Psalm 119 at verse 97. And so here was a man that was interested in Scripture. And let me just ask this question. As you go about your daily activities in life, when, when you just go through your daily routine. Maybe it's you're on your way to and from work. You're going to the ball field. You're going here and there. What are you listening to? What are you thinking about? Many people listen to the radio. Sometimes individuals will, will listen to, to CDs, musical CDs. You know, when you're traveling in your car, you have a great opportunity. You have a great opportunity to listen to the Bible. There are a number of, of of good, of, of good uh, recordings of, of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament Scriptures. And you can listen to those things while you're traveling in your car. You can listen to sermons. And, and I think all of this helps to cultivate a desire to grow closer to God. This man was interested in the Scriptures. There's a second thing that I believe stands out. Not only was he interested in the Scriptures, he was investigating the Scriptures. Do you remember what Jesus said in John 5, verse 39? The Lord said, search the scriptures. We would do well to place the word of God under a human microscope. 
You and I, we ought to be the kind of people that are constantly investigating what the Bible has to say. Here was a man, he was investigating the truth of Almighty God. Look at what is said. He's sitting in his chariot, he's reading Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit said to Philip, go near, overtake the chariot. Philip ran to him, heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? He responded by saying, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him in the chariot. Now look at verse 32. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb silent before its shearer. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So here's a guy. He's going back home. He's been to Jerusalem to worship. He's a religious man. He's a man of great authority. He's interested in the scriptures, but he's also investigating the scriptures. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53 about the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus. And he's placing this text under a microscope. And no doubt, a lot of things are running through his mind. How much time do you spend investigating the word of God? Do you remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 1, verse 2? How he meditated on the law of Jehovah day and night? You and I, we need to be constantly, vigilantly investigating God's holy word. Isaiah said, seek ye out the book of the Lord and read. We need to put this book on a pedestal in our lives. We need, to have great, we need to have great respect for this book. We need to understand that this is the word of the, of the living God and that this book, this word, will safely guide us from earth to heaven. And so we need to constantly, being, we, we need to constantly be investigating the great truths of Almighty God. I promise you this, the more you spend studying and meditating on the truth of God, the, the deeper appreciation you'll have for this book. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 161, my heart stands in awe of your word. Every time you open this book and you spend time thinking about what God has recorded, I promise you, you'll come away with greater respect. There's a third thing that I believe stands out. He was inquisitive about the scriptures. Look at verse 34. He's reading Isaiah 53 about the coming of the Messiah, the Son of God. And so he asked, he asked Philip, of whom does the prophet speak? Of himself or some other man? Here was, here was somebody who had enough interest in scripture. He has been investigating scripture and because of his great desire to learn, he's willing to ask questions. Now I think that you and I, when we study with people, when we talk to people, we ought, we ought to, to literally set people up to ask questions. Did Jesus not ask questions during his earthly ministry? Think about in Matthew chapter 19 when the people came to him, the religious leaders of his day, and asked the question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Do you know what Jesus, do you know what he said? Have you not read? He responded with a question. He answered a question with a question. Well, here's somebody, he's searching the scriptures, he's reading the scriptures, he's looking at what the word of God has to say, and he's curious. There is nothing wrong with asking questions. 
If you want to know something, if you want to learn the truth about any subject, it may be the case you have to ask, ask somebody. There, there are a lot of people that are intimidated. They, they feel inhibited when it comes to, to truth. And, and they're afraid of asking questions. Do not ever fear asking questions about the truth. The truth can take care of itself. When it comes to the truth of Almighty God, whatever the subject may be, it really doesn't matter. Whatever the subject matter may be, do not fear asking a question. The truth can take care of itself. It has shown that the truth can stand on its own. Now you and I, we can defend scripture and we can respond to the questions of people, but we need to be, we need to be the kind of people that ask questions and that prompt others to ask questions. And so the eunuch, he has questions in his mind. He's reading Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. He wants to know, of whom is this prophet speaking? I mean, after all, is that not a valid question? Why, certainly it is. Sometimes you and I, we engage in one-on-one -on -one Bible study with people, and, and, and there are times when people will ask us, what do you think about Jesus? Was Jesus the Son of God? What about the pre-existence of Christ? Can you, can you explain that? What about the church? What are the marks, the identifying marks of the New Testament church? Why do, you, why do you worship God every first day of the week? Why is it that you people do not use instrumental music in your worship to God? These are questions that people have in their minds, and, the, and they're going to pose those questions. Well, we ought to be able to answer them. Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart and be ready to give an answer of defense to every man that asks you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. If somebody asks you what you believe, you need to be able to tell them. And so here was a man that was interested in Scripture. He was investigating Scripture, and he was inquisitive about Scripture. And, as I said a moment ago, he had an open Bible. But then secondly, let's note his conversion. Not only did the eunuch have an open Bible, Luke tells us he had an open heart. And we'll see why he had an open heart, or we'll see the results of his open heart in just a moment. As we think about this particular point, the first thing I want to call your attention to has to do with the messenger. Isn't it interesting that the angel of the Lord instructed Philip to go and to speak one-on-one -on -one with this eunuch from Ethiopia. The angel of the Lord didn't do that. God has placed the gospel in human hands. Please listen very carefully. If your friends and neighbors, family members, if they're going to learn the truth, truth of Almighty God, do you know the source from which they're going to learn it? You and me. We are the source. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he said, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. The gospel has been placed in our hands. Again, think about Philip. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the text tells us that a great persecution swept the early church. And the members of the church in the city of Jerusalem were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. 
And Luke tells us in his narration of these events that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. What does, that, what does that tell us? It tells us that these people took seriously the Great Commission. They believed that the gospel had been committed into their hands. And so willingly, they took this gospel out into the highways and byways of the places where they lived. But then look at verse 5. Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and does what? He preaches Christ to those people. So here you have individuals taking the gospel to the lost. So first of all, the messenger. And there are people, there are no doubt people that will one day be in heaven because of your influence. Because you've taken the time to sit down and talk to somebody. Because you thought enough of them to share with them the gospel of Christ. So we think about the messenger and then secondly, note the message. As we think about the message, the first thing that I want to call your attention to is the source of his message. That is the source of Philip's message. Listen to what is said in verse 35. Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, what do you think, what do you think Philip talked to the eunuch about? Let me tell you what he talked to him about. He talked to him about the scriptures. What does that say to me? It tells me as an evangelist, when I preach, when I teach, I need to base everything that I teach, everything that I preach on scripture. I need to have a thus saith the Lord for everything that I'm teaching and preaching. Luke tells us that Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, Isaiah 53, about the suffering servant. He started right in talking about the Messiah based on the prophecies of, of the coming of the Son of God. Now what did Paul tell Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4? He said, I charge you in the sight of God and of Christ Jesus, who shall judge the living and the dead before his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. That means that those who preach are to preach the word. That's why I believe that Philip preached scripture. I was thinking earlier today about the fact that I've been blessed to preach for a long time. And I was thinking about how over the course of, of my ministry, what I've been preaching hasn't changed one bit. I'm preaching the same thing today that I preached years ago. And if the Lord allows me to live another 20 or 30 or, or 40 years, whatever the case may be, you know what? I'm going to continue preaching the book, the Bible. Why is it that I believe in preaching the Bible? Why do I believe in preaching scripture? Because Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The only thing that's going to set people free from sin and death is scripture. Jesus said you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Now we talk about people that have interest in scripture and they're investigating scripture and they're inquisitive about scripture. Well, if that's the case, then we have somebody who is ripe for study. We have somebody who is ripe for conversion. I would be doing a disservice to any congregation, to any group of people to stand before them and preach something other than Bible. When I preach, when I teach, my lessons need to be centered on Scripture. 
They need to be filled with scripture. The preaching and teaching of the gospel is not about telling stories. It's not about telling jokes. It's not about human interest stories. It's about sharing the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That's what we're supposed to be preaching. That's what we're, we're supposed to be teaching. And if we're not doing that, we're doing a disservice to those who are present. So, first we look at the source of his message, which was scripture. Secondly, I want to call your attention to the Savior in his message. Luke tells us that beginning at this scripture, he preached Jesus. Now, if you look back at Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah had a lot to say about the coming of the Messiah. And typically people talk about Isaiah 53 as a portrait of the suffering servant. Jesus came to bear the sins of fallen humanity. I think that we can get insight into what Philip said to the eunuch by going back and looking at what he preached in Samaria. In verse 12, the Bible says that the people believed the things that Philip preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Luke tells us he preached Jesus to the eunuch. Two things here. I'm convinced he preached Christ. That is, all of the great blessings associated with Jesus Christ, the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus was the one that, that was ultimately to bear the sins and the iniquities of the human family, that it is through Jesus that we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that it is in Jesus Christ and in him alone that we have salvation and access to a relationship with God the Father, that all spiritual blessings reside in Christ. No doubt, Philip preached these great themes, but he also preached the church of Christ. And again, the question is, how do I know that? Well, I said a moment ago that my preaching today hasn't changed. Wherever I go, I preach the same thing. That's what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter, or rather 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He preached the same thing in every congregation. And so, look, look, at, look at Philip. He's in Samaria. What's he preaching? Christ. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's talking about the authority of Christ. The, fa the fact that all authority rests in the hands of Jesus, the Son of God. He's talking about the marvelous kingdom of God, the church of Christ, and the fact that blessings are had in Christ and in the church, and that those who are in Christ are in the church and vice versa. Let me just make this point. To preach the man necessitates preaching the plan, doesn't it? We'll see that in just a moment. But I believe that in the preaching of Jesus, there's no question in my mind that Philip shared with him all the great truths associated with Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And I'm convinced he talked to him about the church that was built by Jesus, that was purchased by his blood, according to Acts 20, verse 28. The church over which Jesus today serves as head, Ephesians 5, verse 23 and following. The body 
that Jesus has promised to save, Ephesians 5, verse 23. All of these great truths, no doubt, were shared with this man. But then I want you to note another thing as we look at our lesson. And this has to do with, really, I believe, the submission of the eunuch to this message. Look at verse 36. As they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? Now sometimes individuals have, they, they have a problem because in verse 26, the text tells us that th this, this place that Philip and the eunuch met was desert. Well, I think what, what Luke is telling us here is that it was uninhabited territory. In other words, there weren't a lot of people around. There was no doubt water there because that's in the text. You're not talking about desert land like what we're talking about or what we think about rather, but he's talking about uninhabited territory. And so he's preached Christ. As they travel down the road, they come to some water, and so here the eunuch asks the question. Listen if you would. Here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Now, I said a moment ago, to preach the man necessitates preaching the plan. I want you to be very honest for just a moment. Is anything said at all, explicitly, about Philip preaching baptism to the eunuch? Did you read anything in the scriptures about that? Listen again to what is said, beginning in verse 34. The eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Did you read anything about Philip? Preaching, teaching, sharing the importance of baptism? I didn't read one word. Listen very carefully. Baptism is cross-centered. It's Christ-centered. If you're going to preach the man, then you have to preach the plan. In preaching and teaching the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, I'm convinced that Philip told him, look, Here's what you need to do to become a New Testament Christian. Can you imagine somebody standing in a pulpit or talking to somebody about Christ and the church of Christ and all the great blessings and resources that we have in Christ and then not saying one word about what to do to be saved? Can you imagine that? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. Now, a lot of people have trouble with baptism. A lot of people have the idea that baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith. That is not what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches us that baptism is for the remission of sins, Acts 2.38. Baptism is for the washing away of sins, Acts 22, verse 16. The Bible tells us that the saved are in Christ, and the only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ, Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Why do we need to be in Christ? Because salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy chapter 2, at verse 10. 
How do we get into Christ? We're baptized into Christ. That's what Paul said in Romans 6 verse 3. Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. If we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into his death, what then do we contact at that point? The blood of Christ. What is it that washes away our sins? What is it that saves us from sin? You know what it is? It's the blood of Christ. John said unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins. Baptism, immersion in water, is the point at which time we contact the blood of Christ and all those spiritual blessings that are had in Christ Jesus. You can't enjoy salvation and the blessings and the benefits of being in Christ without being baptized. Now, note if you would the process. Philip said, if you believe with all your heart. Now let me just ask this question. How important is belief? Does the Bible minimize the importance of belief or does the Bible stress the importance of belief? The Hebrew writer said, without faith, it's impossible to be well-pleasing to him. Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What was the subject? Jesus, that's what, that's what Philip was preaching. And so, Philip simply asked the question, or really basically says, if you believe with all your heart, you may. Well, this man believed. And so note now what is said in verse 37. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have here an affirmation of his belief. We call it the good confession. He confessed that Jesus was the Son of God. Now, nothing is said in our text about repentance. Does that mean that then that the eunuch did not repent? Absolutely not. Peter had said on Pentecost Day that we are to repent and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins. When you and I look at Scripture, we have to take the sum totality of Scripture, pull it all together, and then draw our conclusions. The psalmist said, the sum of your word is truth. So here's a man who believes Jesus to be the Son of God. No doubt he has repented. He's willing to repent. But then he confesses the name of Jesus. And then look at what is said in verse 38. This man commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. And Luke says he baptized him. Why did they go down in the water? Because baptism, according to New Testament scripture, is immersion. It's not sprinkling. It's not pouring. There are a lot of people today that misunderstand the mode of baptism. It is immersion in water. This man was baptized into Christ. Why was he baptized into Christ? So that he might enjoy forgiveness? So that he might contact the blood of Christ? So that he might become a New Testament Christian? So what do you have? You have faith or belief. No doubt, by way of inference, you have repentance, you have confession, and then you have immersion in water. Now, let me tell you this. That's what makes a New Testament Christian. That's the only thing that will make a New Testament Christian. Somebody has to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They have to be willing to repent of their sins, confess his sweet name, and then be immersed in water. In so doing, God will then add that person to the church. How do I know that? Because that's what the Bible says. Peter said, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And so here is a man that simply followed what the Lord would have him to do. 
And then, note if you would, his security. The text tells us in verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught Philip away so that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Why do you think he went on his way rejoicing? Because he was a child of God. Because he became a New Testament Christian. Because he became a member of the Lord's church. Because he enjoyed all the many blessings and favors that are in Christ Jesus. Now, let's pull it all together. We talk about the power of one-on-one -on -one Bible study. When you sit down and you teach somebody this book, if you've got somebody who has an open Bible and an open heart, you know what? You have all the ingredients for a conversion. You know why people are not being converted in our world today, in this community, in, in other communities, in other states, in other regions? Let me tell you why. Because people don't have an open Bible and they don't have an open heart. Jesus said in Luke 8 verse 15 that the heart that ultimately yields fruit is an honest and good heart. We can deduce from looking at Acts chapter 8 that the eunuch had an honest and good heart. And because he had an honest and a good heart, he became a New Testament Christian. So what we have to do is find the right kind of soil. Our job is to preach, to dispense the seed of the kingdom, which is the word of God, Luke 8 verse 11. When we preach, when we teach, when we sow the, the seed of the kingdom, that seed falls on many different types of soil. It is our prayer, it's our hope that it will find root in honest and good hearts. And when it does, it will always yield fruit. Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 that God's word will not return to him void. I believe that. And I'm convinced that if you and I if we want to make a difference in this world, if we, want to see people, if we want to see people become members of the body of Christ and go to heaven, then we have to do what Philip did in the long ago. If we want to see the church grow, if we want to see the church filled with people, here's what we have to do. Sit down and talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. We have to be willing to answer their questions. That means we have to know the book ourselves. We have to teach people the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ and in so doing, we are that human instrument that leads somebody to Jesus Christ the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who ultimately has the power to save them from sin. I do not know if you, if you have any ongoing Bible studies right now. If you do not, I would encourage you, please set up a study. If you do not feel competent in studying the Bible with somebody, then talk to, to your friends, your neighbors, and, and, and get them to, to talk to one of us. That is, give them my telephone number. Ask them to call me. Or ask, ask them to call one of the elders. Ask them to call Billy. I promise you there's somebody here that's willing to sit down and study with them. What about you? We come to the services every first day of the week. We sing, we pray, we take the Lord's Supper, we give of our means. We listen to the Word of God. We, we do this, and hopefully we do it in sincerity. And when we come together every first day of the week, typically there are people in our assembly who are not members of the church. And we always want to take the opportunity to encourage somebody to come to Christ. We want to encourage somebody to do what they did 2,000 years ago to become a Christian. If we do what they did, the promise is we will be what they were which is simply a Christian, a child of God, a member of the body of Christ. 
If we do what they did, we have the same promises, the same assurances that they had back then. So tonight I ask you, have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? A friend of mine many years ago said that he had the opportunity to hear the late evangelist W.A. Bradfield. He said, Brother Bradfield preached in a gospel meeting in his hometown. Brother Bradfield has been dead probably, 40, probably close to 40 years. This friend of mine was not a member of the church, but he attended this gospel meeting. And he told me, he said, in listening to Brother Bradfield, he said, Brother Bradfield made, he said, he made his lesson so hot, he said, you literally had to pick your feet up off the floor. And if you knew anything about Brother Bradfield, you would agree with that. But he said, after hearing him preach on one occasion, or one night during the meeting, he called the local preacher and said, I want to be baptized. This man had come to believe everything the Bible said about Jesus. He had come to the point in his life when he was willing, he was ready to repent, to turn away from a life of sin. And so he said when they, when they got together, Brother Bradfield was there. And he said, the preacher asked him, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Sometimes people say yes. Sometimes people say, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. He said, for me, I had to acknowledge it. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. And he said, when he said that, Brother Bradfield said, now that's a confession. Well, we ought not be ashamed of confessing Jesus Christ as the son of God. That's what the eunuch did. And so we confess Jesus as the son of God. And then we are immersed in water. When we do that, then we become forgiven, cleansed, redeemed people. We become a part of the body of Christ. And the exhortation is to, is to then live faithfully until death. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause of Christ, could I encourage you to come to Christ, to come home, to come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon, as John said in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?